Hello, welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome on this uh, holiday weekend. So glad that you're here, and uh, welcome to you here. Welcome to you on any of our campuses. Welcome to those of you who are online. Uh, we got Maddie here from uh, North Carolina, Sandra from Oregon, and a whole bunch of other people from all kinds of places. So we're here together, and so glad that you're here. So today what we're going to do is we're going to continue a series we started last weekend. It's called Priceless, and it's uh, trying to determine the actual value of something and what, what something really worth. Uh, there was a premise that we started with that I, I just want to kind of let's just review for just a moment. And, and again, I got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to move very fast. But it all kind of is built out of a verse, which is Luke 16, 15, which is something Jesus said. And what he said was this, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Uh, that, that's a shocking statement when you think about it, but it really starts to make you realize that we live in a world that's in, it's in conflict that values are, are pulling at us, all right? And last week I said this statement, God places value on what the world doesn't, the world places value on what God doesn't. And you and I live in this world and we're gonna have to figure out uh, whose values we're gonna follow, all right? And that's just the dilemma. And that's what we're wrestling with in this series. Now, last week I, I made the point, I, I hope you were here and I hope you heard, that in God's eyes you are absolutely priceless. You are priceless. And you, you matter more than you could ever imagine. You are incredibly uh, valuable to God. Now, I, I want to just do something right now. I, I want to start by kind of recapping the idea of why do I know you're priceless? And to get there, I want you to think for just a moment about the creation. Because you're, you're so valuable because you were created by a creator. All right? So let's just spend a moment and just go with me. Uh, uh, and let's just talk about creation. I, I want to make this statement. I think what God created on the entire, like in the universe, the world, everything is just astounding. Uh, I, it amazes me. You know, when you look up and you see the, the sun and the moon and the stars and you, you realize that we live in this universe and, and the Bible says it was created by God and, and the next universe over and the one beyond that one and all the universes that we are discovering, uh, that was all made by a creator. So when we talk about you being priceless, the value you hold is in huge part because of who made you and who he is. Uh, well, he made all of that, but he also made the planet that we live on. And, and the planet we live on is just an incredible creation. In fact, it's interesting that God as a creator created something so remarkable. A lot of people worship the creation rather than the creator. It's that remarkable. The creation is that remarkable, whether it's a thing or a person. But let's just keep going with this, okay? So we live on a planet that is, is just, I like, I, I love the planet. I love the mountains. I love the oceans. I love the lakes. I love the streams. I, we could just go on and on. I, I love the forests. I, I, love, the, I love the animals. I, I love the birds. I love the fish. God created all this. God created bass boats to catch the fish. <laughs> love that. But here's what I need you to understand. If you don't get this, you won't understand what I'm trying to say. God's creation is remarkable, but the highlight of his creation was none of the things that I mentioned, not this universe or the next one or anything in it. It was you. And I know this is a lot to get around, but, but that's the significance that you got to understand if you want to know what God values. In other words, of all the things he made, when he, when he made you, he peaked. 
he, 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 like, like I, he dropped the mic, boom, can't top that. And, and, and then he rested and he was done. Nothing's been created beyond you. It's a, it's a heady thought, it's, it's a tough thing. In fact, let me remind you of where we get this. This is in uh, Genesis chapter one, but particularly, let me show you verses 26 and 27. Then God said, all right, let us make man and mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, I would suggest that there are three truths revealed. In fact, James Emery White, who I'm incredibly indebted to for, uh, in, in this message for some content that uh, I've just been challenged by some things he's taught. He's a pastor in uh, South Carolina. Um, but he says there's three headlines you, you don't wanna miss in, in that passage. Let me show them to you. Number one, you, you, you were made. You were made by God. God made us. That's the first headline. You're made by God. It doesn't say how God made us. And we can debate that, you know, till the cows come home. But that you were made. And you, you were made, it means out of nothing. Which you've got to understand. Now let's talk about the conflict. Um, I am a theist. You need to understand this, all right? It, it shouldn't shock you. I am a theist. What does that mean? That means I believe in God. I don't believe in any God. I believe in a God as revealed in the scriptures. That's my bias. That's my, I'm playing my cards on the table. I'm telling you who I am, all right? Uh, and I have a worldview because I am a theist who believes in the Bible. Uh, somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible and doesn't share that worldview would be an, or doesn't believe in God, would be an atheist, right. And they wouldn't agree with what I, but be, because I believe in the Bible, I go to scripture and I go, okay, explain this to me. And then I try to make sense so that I understand. Um, so God created you and me and I'm just telling you, you are a one-off creation of a master craftsman. You, you, you are, you're just an incredible work of art and you, you matter because of who he is. You also matter not only by who made you, but you matter because of the price that he was willing to pay for you as revealed in scripture. If you were the only person alive, God would still do what he did for all of us and that is he would die for you so you spend eternity with him. You're so incredibly valuable, and scripture tells us this, all right? The first headline is that God made us. The second headline is God made us in his image. That, that's that thing we talked about, the imago Dei. That God used himself as the pattern in designing us. That he literally put traits of himself in us. He, he made us different than the animals, which is what we just read. He, he gave us a soul, and that, that soul is, makes you different. I, it doesn't talk about animals having souls. I know that might upset you. Well, we certainly know cats don't have souls, okay? <laughs> Beyond that, I... But you know why you have a soul? And you know what you have that animals don't have? You have the opportunity, because you were created in his image, to, to relate to him, to, to have a relationship with God. And I wanna suggest to you, and listen carefully, because this is important. Since if that view is right, the theist view of God, you can't be all you were designed to be outside of a relationship with your creator. You'll be less than what he desired you to be. And so it's very, very important that we understand this. That's why last week as the big idea, I threw this at you. When we lose sight of God, we lose sight of ourselves. It really matters who God is. 
But the third headline that's in that, we, we were made, we were made in God's image, is that we were made with distinction. You see, it says he made us male and female, all right? He didn't make us one thing, he, he made us different. And if you look around the room, you'll see us, okay? We're, we're male and female. In many other ways, we're also different. It's not the only distinguishing mark. You're this one-off creation, which means, I, I, this blows my mind. There's what, pushing eight billion people on the planet now? Nobody but you has your fingerprints, you're it. I can't even imagine how much hassle that was. Like you, but that's not it. You have your very own vocal pattern and vocal pitch. It's mapped to you. You, you have the blood vessels in your eyes and your retina and whatnot that are unique to you. You're alone. They even say that the outer rim of your ear is a one-off creation. Well, I think it's amazing to create just one of those things, but to put all those together, you're, you're just absolutely and utterly remarkable. And, uh, and, and by the way, you know another difference between us all is our skin color. And God didn't make us all the same skin color. He, he, he brought variety in when he created us that way. Um, I just need you to understand, folks, you're just very, very valuable to God. Um, regardless of any difference between us, you're very valuable. So uh, James Emery White said this. He said, every single human being, every single one, because they are image bearers of God, has absolute incalculable value and significance. That's you. That is you. Doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter how much money you have, or where you live, where you were born. Doesn't matter the state of your mental or your physical uh, capability. You're just you. And, and I, I feel the need to quote the famous theologian, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Today you are you, that is truer than true. There is not one alive who is youier than you. You are the youiest person created. You are absolutely incredible. Now, you need to understand that um, everything I just shared is a Christian worldview. And not everyone holds that view. But if we don't start there, you're not gonna understand when I plead with you to realize you are cherished by God. He cares about nothing more than the plight and the heart of his people. You just need to know that, okay? The sun's burning, he's cool, all right? The earth's rotating, it's cool. He's got his mind and his eye on you, all right? Now, you go, okay, well, that's cool. Why do we talk about all that? Because what I wanna talk about today is what destroys the beauty of what God created. I wanna talk about, uh, on this weekend, MLK weekend, I wanna talk about what I think is the uh, insidious thing that just seeks to destroy the beauty of God's creation. And I gotta start with creation. Because I wanna talk about uh, racism, all right? Now, hang on, because we're gonna go deep on this, all right? Now, let me just explain something. I don't need to explain to anybody in this room or anyone anywhere on this planet that racism is uh, you know, wreaking havoc. Uh, it's deepening in, it's in, in its intensity. It's erupting in violence. Uh, it pits people against people. And many people would argue it is the thing that is tearing the fabric of our society apart. So let's not minimize it or play it down. It, it's a very real thing. I'm, I'm not gonna spend any time talking about how we got here. I would encourage you though to become educated in the history of not only the United States, but the history of uh, uh, you know, race. I, I would say this to you, the more uncomfortable you are reading something, probably the more you ought to read it. We have a problem, uh, us, 
we have a problem. We, we call it confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is where we're only listening to those who agree with us. We only read the things that validate what we already believe. And that's fine. That's fine. It's just going to shrink your world. It's going to make your world very small because you'll never learn anything until you step over the boundary of your comfort. All right. Now, what I mean by that is that until you're willing to wrestle with experiences that people have that are not your experience or viewpoints that are not your viewpoints, you'll never learn anything beyond what you already know, which means the older you get, the smaller you become. I would encourage you to go the exact opposite way. Uh, I read a lot. I read a lot of stuff that makes me incredibly uncomfortable, but I wrestle with ideas that are not, they're foreign to me. They're not at home, but that's how you learn. So I'd encourage that, but that was free. That was just a side note. Um, but what does the Bible say about race? What does the Bible say about racism? Now, I want to just say something. Are you sick of it yet? Are you sick of hearing about it? Do you cringe when I say we're going to talk about racism? Do your eyes roll up to the top of your head? All right. Um, it's a word that's so supercharged with emotion anymore. It's thrown around. It seems like one of the worst things you can say to a person right now, just get around everything, is say it's, you're a racist. And what you just said is racist. The problem is, um, nobody I've yet run into, now I'm sure there are people, I just haven't personally met them. Nobody has walked up and said, hey, you know what you're talking about racist? I'm it. You're talking about me. No, I've never met anyone. I know there are people, okay? So it's not like I'm saying they don't exist. Nobody wants to be a racist. You don't want to be, I don't want to be. Nobody wants to be a racist. Nobody's like, you can talk to people and they'll deny. They, they can have the most, you know, kind of a white supremacist attitude and they go, I'm not a racist, but I'm not a racist. It's a weird word. It's a word that really means nothing anymore because nobody wants to ever say, I identify with that. And so it's an interesting, difficult thing to talk about. It's one of these things though, that you can't not talk about it because, listen, it's said this way. If everyone is a racist, then no one's a racist. If everything's racist, nothing's racist. We, we have to explain what we're talking about when we talk about racist. And you'll understand if you'll stick with me why this is so important. Now, do we talk about this in our church? Because, Pastor, do you believe that our church is full of racists? Absolutely not. I don't believe that for a moment. Not for a moment do I believe that. Uh, I, I believe that most, if not all of us, would condemn racism. We're not of that. That's not why we need to keep talking about it. I think we would condemn racism in any and every form. And I don't think there are people in our church that are running around wearing white, white robes and lighting crosses on fire and fire hosing people of different color of skin. And I don't think people set dogs on people. I don't think many people would, or any would wish for somebody's harm. I don't think we wish ill on people. I don't think we would do any number of things. We don't identify with white supremacists. We don't condone violence against anyone. We don't celebrate when there's a mass shooting like what happened in El Paso where a guy travels all that distance to actually gun down people he was targeting. None of us celebrate that. So no, not at all. I don't believe that. But here's what I do need you to understand. We've got to talk about racism because listen carefully, racism is one of the primary things that is destroying the beauty of God's creation. And you gotta let that soak. We gotta talk about this because it is one of the primary things that is destroying the beauty of what God actually 
creative. I want to be very clear when we talk about racism. I'm not talking about one group to another group. Racism flows every direction. It doesn't affect one people group, but nobody else. Uh, and again, we, I could get, you know, we, it, we, this affects, it affects Native Americans, it, it affects Latinos, uh, the uh, Asian, and we could just, it, blacks, whites, we just, everyone, everyone. And it goes every direction, all right? And, and I want to be re- really clear about that. The, the problem is, though, um, I don't think we necessarily think much about what racism actually is. So let me just do that for a minute. Racism is believing in racial superiority of one group over another group, okay? That's what it is. It's believing that somehow one's race determines your capability or your value, your capacity and your value. It's, it's sometimes in Christian circles, a belief that God loves certain colors of skin more than he loves other people of different colors of skin. And that if you're a certain color, you have more God, more access to God than others would have who don't have that, and that you matter more. And uh, I, I want to just be really clear. I don't think most of us want to believe that. I just don't. I don't. I don't. And if you count, if you came up and you, you said to me, "Well, Cal, you're a racist," I promise you, I, you wouldn't stick because I don't feel that I am. So I want to be really clear what we're talking about. Nobody wants to land in the destination called a racist. This is the point I don't want you to miss. Nobody wants the title. Nobody's running around going, call me that, call me that, call me that. The problem is that as the years have gone by, we've become so sophisticated how to navigate around actually being labeled as a racist. And and so the the deal is is this, listen, listen. it's not a fixed identity. I'm not guilty of being a racist, but you know what I am guilty of? Look, look at me, please, look at me. I am guilty of having racist ideas flash through my head. I am. And I, I say that to you to embolden you to own it if you do too, and my guess is you probably do. I'll talk about that in just a moment, but that's the hard thing to admit. I don't want to admit that because here's what I need to say as soon as I said that. Listen carefully, look at me. Racism is Sin. I'm calling it. It's sin. Now, you go, well, I don't think we should talk about racism at church. Folks, if we should not talk about sin at church, who should? Where should you talk about sin? That's what preachers are supposed to talk about. This is why I, I feel the necessity to go, we got to stay on this. We got to keep talking about it. And uh, it's, it, it's, an, it's not the only sin. It's not the most prevalent sin. It's not the worst sin. It just destroys the beauty of what God created and we should not sit by and let that happen. And let me say something else before I go any further. When I talk about racism, I have zero intention of making you feel shame or guilt. Zero, zip, nada. And yet what happens is, this is what I've learned as the years, the past five years, I've just said we should stay on this, we should talk about this. But what I have found is people come up to me afterwards and they're angry, and maybe you're feeling this right now, and they'll say something like, when you talk about that, you made me feel. You made me feel. And I've got to call this out, folks. I'm not making you feel anything. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel shameful. I don't want you to feel shameful. But could it be possible that when we talk about sin, that the spirit of God which lives in you, if you're actually a believer, could be trying to bring to light something that he wants you to see? Don't blame me for what the Spirit's doing in your life. I can't control that. I'm not trying to make you feel any, I'm not trying to get you to go do anything. Like go, 
I, I just think we need to realize what's at stake here. In, in this thing, I, uh, I think we gotta understand, I said it's become more sophisticated. I've watched this happen literally before my eyes, but uh, on a grand scale, like the racism that we, we deal with today is not like it was in the Civil War, which I've read a lot about that. It's not even like it was in, during the Civil Rights era of the, you know, the 60s. I've read a lot about that. It's more sophisticated than that. It's a little bit darker these days, maybe, because nobody wants to claim it. Let, let me explain what I'm talking about. Let me explain a concept that um, has been really helpful for me. I, I'm not a racist, but I struggle with racist ideas because of a thing called shadow racism. That's the phrase. Just wrestle with this. Shadow racism. Let me give you a very real, very personal example of shadow racism that I would experience. And I'm just owning it, all right? I'm just telling you, I would experience this. If I were walking down a, a darker street and I saw under a street lamp coming at me, two white men come in my direction, I would have a certain reaction, okay? It might be a flush of fear, I don't know. It depends on the setting, but I, but here's shadow racism. If there were two black men coming my direction, I would have a different reaction. It's, it's the same, it's two men coming at me. But the difference is, is that I'm gonna give the white the benefit of the doubt, I wouldn't give the black, that's shadow racism. And I'm telling you, that could happen. What I just described could happen to me, and my brain would kick in and go, what are you doing? And I'd have to, the Spirit of God would convict me and go, not gonna. the two white guys might have far more ill intent. The two black guys could be the most righteous guys on the planet, but I didn't see them that way. Now, other ways that shadow racism could, could cross your path might be, and again, I don't know. I'll just give you some examples of how it might. You're at, at a dinner, and... Uh, you're on a date with somebody and you look over at another table and, and there is a, a uh, white woman who's obviously on a date with a black man or a black man, a black woman and a white, whatever. You go, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. And there's something inside you, you go, I just, I don't like that. I don't, I don't think they should be together. And if I have time, I want to show you, you know, biblically, there's absolutely not a thing about that biblically wrong, just so you know, there's not a thing. It would be, shadow racism might be if you're on a plane or you're on a bus or you're on a subway, which, you know, not lately. Um, but, you, you know, you have a seat next to you and somebody sits down and all of a sudden something goes through you where you, if you're a woman, you clutch your, your purse a little tighter, you know, or somebody's walking down the street, you go, oh. Um, you, just, you, you just tense up. It's shadow racism. It's like you, you're making a decision. It, shadow racism is what so frequently you hear in the news when somebody calls the police on somebody of a different ethnicity and they go, I'm just sure. And, and all these accusations come out and the police show up and go, why in the world did you think that? And it's just because I just reached that conclusion. And let me tell you uh, honestly, what's probably the most frightening uh, place where shadow racism might come out, just be ready, is in your home. Because see, I, if, if, if I have racist thoughts flashing through my head, I'm smart enough to know not to say them publicly, except when I'm preaching like I just did. It's not smart. But I'm not gonna go around advertising any racist ideas that flash through my head, but you know who'll know them? My spouse, Lisa, she'll know. My kids will know. So the question is, 
okay, not like what you present, but what do people hear? Like what the jokes you tell, the, the things you find funny. So I'll, I'll need you to understand as we process this much this far is that um, if we don't keep a guard up church, uh, it's gonna have the potential of sneaking in and changing our culture into something that God never designed it to be or created it to be. So, so why not racism? Why don't we just go with racism? Let me tell you why you can't just go with racism. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Listen carefully. Church, listen to me. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You, if, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, clothed differently than the rest of the world. And, and God's saying, hey, listen, I want you to live differently. You know, it is interesting, when, when it, the Bible speaks about people, you know what it never says about people? It never identifies people by their appearance. And by that, I mean, it's like if you read the Bible, you'll read about distinctions among people and you'll never read, you know, like they were the, uh, you know, they were valuable because they were the most attractive or anything like that. What you'll hear is you'll read about tribes, you'll read about nations, you'll read about tongues uh, or language groups, uh, people groups, cultures, geography. And, but you'll never, you'll never get anything about people's appearance, okay? No, why is that important? Um, folks, it's important because according to a theist viewpoint, which I can't make you hold, but I can explain it to you, you get your cues from the Bible, and you know what the Bible says? We all have a common ancestor, and it was not an ape. It was a man and a woman called Adam and Eve. Um, the Bible does not speak about multiple races, just so you know. It speaks about one race created by God called the human race. And it's the most valuable thing that God created. The Human Genome Project, which you might remember hearing about, started 1990 in October, ended up in April. They concluded in April of 2003. Among many incredible findings, the, probably the most significant finding, they're trying to understand the blueprint of human Humans, like, what do we, how, do, how are we made? They came up with a shocking conclusion that genetically we're 99.9% .9 alike across all humanity. Which is not what they were expecting to find, which is fascinating because that would be the case if we had a common ancestor, a man and woman named Adam and Eve. Scripture says it this way, folks, in Acts 17, 26, from one man, he made all the nations. That's Scripture. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed time in history and the boundaries of their lands. God, it's God's world, it's his creation. He, he's in charge, according to the Bible, all right? Apostle Peter said it this way, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts everyone from every nation, the, the one who fears him and does what is right. It's an interesting word, that favoritism. It literally means in the original language, God doesn't hold on to a face. I know it's a weird, but that's what the word means. God doesn't hold on to a face. What does that mean? That when he looks at you, he doesn't go, um, I know you by your appearance. 
He doesn't. He knows you by your heart. He knows you by your soul. He knows you by your essence of who you are. It's important to understand. So how then did we get so many skin colors? If there was an Adam and an Eve, how in the world do we have all of these skin? I'm so glad you asked that. Let me show you a quick video. Watch this. I hear this one a lot. How can there be so many races in the world if we are all descendants of Adam and Eve? Well, check this out. First off, let's talk about the word race. Sometimes when people use the word, they mean supposed races of people who have evolved at different times, rates, and in different locations. Of course, the word race is also a term we use to distinguish between groups with different physical traits, namely skin color. But are there really different races? Take a gander at Acts 17.26 where it is written that God, from one man, made every nation of men. It's clear then that the Bible teaches that there is one race, the human race. The Bible is also clear that all people on the earth are descendants of Adam and Eve who were created by God. Check Genesis 1.26-28. Easy enough. God created two people in his image, male and female, and told them to increase in number. So, Adam and Eve are mom and dad of the human race. Then, their children had children, and those children had children, and so on and so forth for many generations until, according to Genesis 6.9, the world's population was reduced to eight people who were protected inside an ark during a global flood. And those eight people later walked off the ark, and according to Genesis 9.19, from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Oh, wait a second. What do I mean scattered? Well, jump over to Genesis 11, and let's talk about an event known as the Tower of Babel. Basically, because of the sinful actions of the descendants of Noah, the Lord confused their language and scattered them from there over all the earth. That's pretty clear and concise. Okay, so we've got lots of people who were descendants of the eight folks who came off the ark, and now they have been scattered all over the earth. That explains that we are still one race and that different groups of people ended up in different locations. But how do we get a bunch of different colored people if we are all one race? Well, follow along. This, of course, is a simplified explanation, but the basic principles are true. We all have a pigment in our bodies called melanin, which, depending on different variables, produces different shades of the one main skin color we all possess. Several genes control the amount of melanin produced and thus the variability in the skin shade. In fact, it's easy for one couple to produce a wide range of skin shade variability in just one generation, as we'll see in just a moment. Time for a quick genetics lesson. DNA is the molecule of heredity that is passed from parents to children. A child inherits 23 chromosomes from each parent. Each chromosome pair contains hundreds of genes which regulate the physical development of the child. However, to illustrate basic genetic principles pertaining to the topic, we'll just talk about two genes, the genes that control the production of melanin. So, let capital A and capital B symbolize versions of the gene that code for large amounts of melanin, while little a and little b code for small amounts. Got it? Easy. Check this out. Take a look at the upper left. Let's say dad contributes capital A, capital B genes, and mom contributes capital A, capital B genes as well. Together, they will produce a child with capital A, capital A, capital B, and capital B. This is a kid with a lot of melanin, thus he will have very dark skin. Easy to see. Here's the bigger point though. Let's say dad contributes capital A, capital B, and mom contributes little a and little b. Well, the child's skin will be middle brown shade, the combination of capital A, little a, and capital B, little b, which by the way represents a majority of the world's population. Not only that, but if each parent is capital A, little a, capital B, little b, the combinations that could be produced in their children could result in a very wide range of skin shades in just one generation. So. Since Adam and Eve were the first people ever, it makes sense to conclude that God placed in them a combination of genes that could produce all different shades of skin we see. Those same combinations would be present in Noah and the seven other people who boarded the ark. And because God dispersed people at the Tower of Babel, he dispersed the population, thereby isolating gene pools in the different people groups. Over time, different cultures formed in different locations with certain features like skin shade becoming predominant. And here we are today. And since we all go back to Noah and his family, it makes sense that we are all different shades of brown. One race, multiple people groups, just like the Bible teaches. Simplified for sure, but enough said. 
three minutes, all right? Now, I understand that a, a non-theist, an atheist, an agnostic, whatever, I would go, I don't believe any of I get, I get that, okay? I, I fully do understand that. But I need you to realize that if you are a theist, you gotta realize there's absolutely no grounds in God's economy for ranking or valuing individuals based on the color of their skin. It makes zero sense. Which brings me to the last thing I wanna talk about. What do we do in a world that is so conflicted over the color of people's skin? Because it is, and again, none of us would go, no, it's not. It just is. Um, unfortunately, when I tell you that God values people and that you're priceless, you live in a world that says, no, you're not. You're nothing special. You're nothing unique. You're not a work of art. Uh, we live in a world that values things far more than it values people. Maybe it's supply and demand. We have so many people, who needs them all? We'd be better off with less. But the world values on appearance. The world values on wealth, on accomplishment, success. The world values people on what's called utilitarianism. What does that mean? It means, what are you, what are you contributing? What are you worth? What, are you, what difference are you making? What are you doing for me? That's the world we live in, and there's the conflict. As I began this series, and I'll do this every week, I can't tell you where you're gonna land. I can tell you where I've landed and why I've landed there. You've gotta sort this out for yourself. You have to decide what do you, what do you think is true and what do you think is false. The, the world just sees it differently. Um, scripture comes along and says, can I put a different uh, challenge in front of you who are theists? Can I put something? And, and so scripture just drops. I wanna share with you a passage. I share this many times. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's one of the most inspiring, most convicting, most challenging. Uh, I think about this passage often. I fail to do this frequently, by the way. I'm not good at it. But it's Philippians 2, 3, and 4, and it has an ideal that I just absolutely adore. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others above yourself. Looking not to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Uh, like, what, what? Yeah, what God's calling us who are priceless is to realize that they are also priceless and that God's love is big enough for you to put them ahead of you and you're not gonna lose by doing that. You're actually gonna come out ahead. Now, of course, it presupposes that I value myself. I, if I'm abusing myself, I, it doesn't say abuse others more than you abuse yourself. You know, but it's the idea that you, you're incredibly valuable and so are they, so make sure you don't lose sight of that. Um, that's why in scripture, you can't escape the high calling of love and the song that we were led in before this message, just God teach me to love the way you want me to love. It, that is a scriptural concept it's throughout. I mean, it's just so strong. Let me read you something Paul said. Let me read you something Jesus said. Paul said it this way. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. You wanna get it all? One command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You, get, you wanna get it right? You gotta move love to the middle. Yeah, like get it ahead of everything, okay? Move it from the side, get it in, in the center, okay? Jesus said this way, said it this way. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Big deal. Uh, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Very worldly minded. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's a different ethic. Now, so we're talking about the word love. Here's a, here's a problem, and again, allow me a moment to explain something that I think is crucial. In English, we have a word we call love, and we can use that word in uh, any range of things. You know, um, We could say, I love pizza, I love fishing, and I love my wife. Did you just equate your wife to a fish, to a, a baked good? Um, in the Greek language, which is where we get the Bible, they don't do that. They have a number of words for love, three pr predominant ones, quickly. The first one is called eros. This is where we get the English word erotic. Eros is sensual love. It's, eros is uh, what I want to get. It's a lustful kind of love. It's the idea that I'm looking out for me. Eros is like, uh, it's 100% about me and none about you, or 90% about me and 10% about you. You are a means to fulfill something within me. That's eros. Phileo is a different word, and that, that's kind of a 50-50 love. That's, a, that's a, what we call brotherly love. That's Philadelphia comes from phileo. It's the idea that um, if it's good, it's good for you, it's good for me, we all win. Uh, you put your 50%, I'll put my 50% in, and uh, we'll make it happen. But those are not the words that are used when Jesus and Paul just shared what they shared. They didn't say do that. They used the third word, and it's a more powerful word. It's the word agape. Now, I know you probably heard the word agape. Let me make sure you understand it. Agape is the opposite of eros. Agape is that I'm going to do something for you when you are not expected to do something for me. I'm going to put you ahead of me even if you don't put me ahead of you. I'm going to always look out for you more than I look out for myself. That is the high ethic of which we're called to, church. And it's hard. It's really hard. Um, if you'll allow me, I want to quote uh, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. on this because he said something I think is so profound. Let me, let me read to you a direct quote from him. Agape, this kind of love, this other first love, means understanding, redeeming goodwill for all men, it's an overflowing love which is purely spontaneous, unmotivated, groundless, and creative. It is not set in motion by any quality or function of its object. It doesn't depend on what they're doing. It is the love of God operating in a human heart. Agape is disinterested love. It is a love in, in, in which the individual seeks not his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people. Or, or any qualities people possess. It begins by loving others for their sakes. It's an entirely neighbor regarding concern for others, which discovers the neighbor in every man it meets. Therefore, agape makes no distinction between friend and enemy. It's directed toward both. If one loves an individual, catch this, if one loves an individual merely on account of his friendliness, he loves for the sake of the benefits to be gained from the friendship rather than for the friend's own sake. It's a hard thing, this agape. Martin Luther King went on to say this, along the way of life, someone must have sense enough and morality enough to cut the chain of hate. 
This can only be done by projecting the ethic of love to the center of our lives. All right. Now, here, here, here's what I've tried to say. Thanks for being with me, all right? God's creation is awesome. It's awesome. The peak of his creation was you and everyone else like you. Awesome. Mic drop. Can't get better. Racism comes in and destroys what God created because it makes us, pits us against one another. And instead of looking out for others, we become very self-centered and we look out for ourselves only, all right? So God created beauty, racism destroys beauty. Loving one another like we're called to destroys racism. That's what I've tried to show you, all right? Now, again, you might be going, well, I'm glad I don't have any issue with this. I hope you don't, I really do, I do, all right, I do. I wanna close this uh, message by telling you a true story. Something else I'm not proud of, by the way. But I, it's real. I mean, I've shared it before. It's not like your first time you've heard it if you've been around. But I just need to, I need to explain something to you that does not make me look good. And I know it, all right? Not, not a shock, all right? Um, but uh, well, let me explain, all right? I fly a lot. No, not mid-corona, but pre-corona. I flew all the time. I fly nationally all the time. I fly internationally all the time. I, I don't do this for my own pleasure, by the way, just so you understand. My wife would do that. We'd like to travel everywhere. I don't like that. I, I want to go fishing. That's what I want to do. I don't want to get on a plane to travel around the world. That's not who I am. But because of my job, I travel nationally and internationally a lot. Well, because I travel a lot, um, unbeknownst to me, uh, the airline has rewarded me, okay? And the rewards are um, I get free trips, and uh, I, I become a member of their status elite club, okay? I didn't apply, I didn't ask for it, I just, they gave it to me, and we, you, it's got incredible, but I like it, I like it. You know, you know what I get? I, I get to skip the line to check in, and I just get to go to a special kiosk, and I just can check in really quick. Uh, my baggage gets handled with priority, all right? It's the first off the plane. I like that, I, when I get to the gate, um, I'm the first on the plane. I'm one of the first because I have the status that they gave me. And um, the coolest benefit that comes with this is that often when I go to check in, they say this line to me, you've been upgraded. <laughs> I did get an upgraded, okay? Uh, anyone else, am I alone? You get upgraded, what does that mean? That means, hey baby, I get first class for nothing. I get first, I didn't have to pay for it. I get first class. You know what's cool about first class? Not only are you the first on the plane, but you're the first of the first on the plane. Okay, I, I, ah, I get on the plane first and get they, big seats, man. You know, they got like actually recline. You got some distance. It's comfortable. And, and you know what? Up there they serve food. No, no, they don't do that in the back anymore. They serve food. Here's what I need you to understand. Here's the confession to get off my heart, all right? I, I, I could live up there. I'd like to live up there, but, but it gets dark because here's what I've got to confess to you. Um, that changes me when I'm up there. It changes me in not a good way because you know what I start to realize when I'm up there? Um, I feel a little better about myself than those who aren't up there. I, I'm not proud to tell you that, but I got, you know, God, I deserve to be up here. I, you know, I, it's good. And then I start finding my, my attitude towards the people that are back there, you know, in the cheap seats, cattle car. Could you hurry up already so we could go? 
you're costing me time. Why is it taking you so long? Would you just put your luggage away? And bad things can start going through my mind and heart. All right, now again, not proud of any of that. Why am I telling you that? Because the first time that happened, man, the Spirit of God just smacked me upside the head. So what's wrong with you? And I had to stare at myself a long time and go, what is wrong with you? And they smacked me a number of times since because it's not eradicated. I tell you all that to tell you something Alexander Solzhenitsyn said. Solzhenitsyn was a Russian dissident. He wrote, is a philosopher, but he wrote a, a number of works. The Gulag Archipelago was profound work, if you've never read that. Here's what he said. He said this famously. Listen carefully. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts, including mine. The line of good and evil is not, those guys are bad and I'm over here with the good. I don't have any bad in me, I only have good. No, the line dividing good and evil is part of my heart is good and part of my heart is not. And he says, and I agree, that's the state of every one of us. Now, what's wrong with racism? Well, one last scripture, Colossians 3.11. Here, there is, among us, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. The clothes we should wear, folks, we changed out of the old way of thinking, the worldly way of dressing, as it were, and we put on a new self. That when we see one another and when we see people, we see them differently. We are clothed in Christ. That's the color of my skin. That's the color of your skin. And that's why you are so incredibly valuable. I am and you are. And as we can treat people the way God calls us to treat people, we will make an impact in this planet and change the world. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing a song together that will uh, hopefully cause us to think deeply. So let's pray. So God, give us the uh, ability to sit and listen and absorb. God, uh, confirmation bias. We don't wanna hear what we don't wanna hear and we don't wanna hear what we don't already agree with, but God, we'll never learn. So I just pray that we're challenged just to think and and. God, move us into a greater uh, appreciation of what you've done. Your creation's awesome. Nothing better than people, even though people don't value people. God, you do, and we gotta learn how to. Thank you for all the diversity. Thanks for all this uniqueness you made among us. God, may we never believe that one particular shade of skin has more of you than any other or is better than any other. God, it's just the way it is, and it's a worldly thing. It's not a godly thing, and so it's not about you. So help us, Father, and thanks again for the opportunity to meet it together as a church, both in this place, in our campuses, in people's, people's living rooms and offices and in their cars. God, I just how you spread the word. Thanks for what you've done for us. Thanks for making us as valuable as you have. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Amen. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.